The following audio is from The Springs Church. More information about The Springs Church is available at thesprings.cc. One faith. The book of Ephesians is a cosmic look at what God is doing in the world. It is a grand 35,000 view look at what God is doing in Jesus Christ in the world. And what he's doing is that in Jesus Christ, God is gathering all, all things, all things in heaven and on earth, all things in under the earth, all things in the entire cosmos under the lordship of Jesus. And so this morning, I want you to hear this, that whatever is going on in your life, that God is working to gather up all things. Whatever problems you're experiencing, God is working to gather those all up under the Lordship of Jesus. Whatever conflicts you're experiencing, God is working to gather all those up under the Lordship of Jesus. Whatever health issues, whatever worries you, Whatever concerns you, whatever keeps you distracted and awake at night, God is at work to gather up all of that under the Lordship of Jesus. God's work in Jesus Christ is this, according to Ephesians, to gather up all things in heaven and earth under the Lordship of Jesus. In Ephesians chapters one through three, he makes that argument about God, God working in Jesus to reconcile all things in heaven and on earth. That's the argument in chapters one through three. And then in chapters four through six is the practical teaching for how we live out that reconciliation that God has already worked out in Jesus Christ. That in Jesus Christ, God has done the work of reconciliation. Now the practical part in four through seven is to say, hey, you people, all of you who believe in the Lordship of Jesus Christ, here's how you're to live that out in unity. And here's what this looks like. So that's why he says in Ephesians four, what we just read, make every effort to keep unity through the bond of peace. And have one faith. One faith. The other text in the sections four through six that are in the practical part of Ephesians that mentions faith comes in chapter 10. I mean, sorry, chapter 6, 10 through 17. And you're going to know this. We've, we read this and we read this to our children. We know this text. But 6, 10 through 17 says this, Finally, be strong in the Lord and his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the, the rulers and the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, put on the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes, 
you may be able to stand your ground. And after you have done everything to stand, stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist, with the breastplate, with the breastplate of righteousness in place, and with the feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to all this, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. So he says to us, put on the full armor of God. And in that text, connected with this idea of one faith is the shield of faith. Now, we know this text very well. This is a very familiar text. If you've grown up in the church, you've been a Christian for very long, you know this text. And you're not surprised that Ephesians says this. You're not surprised this is Ephesians. We read it, but we also often read it in isolation. And if you read it in the context of the whole book of Ephesians, it actually strikes you as an odd metaphor. At least several commentators have noted and people throughout the centuries says this is kind of an odd metaphor for Ephesians. Because Ephesians is spending all of its time talking about peace and unity. And then they bring up armor for battle. And imagery of war. But what Ephesians is doing that we also don't recognize is that it's drawing from this idea of the divine warrior that you find in the book of Isaiah and the prophets. Or this messianic warrior. And so in Ephesians, I'm sorry, in Isaiah 59, starting in 15 through 18, it says this. It says, the Lord looked and he was displeased that there was no justice. He saw that there was no one. And he was appalled that there was no one to intervene. So his own arm achieved salvation for him. And his own righteousness sustained him. He put on righteousness as a breastplate. And the helmet of salvation on his head. He put the garments of vengeance and wrapped himself in zeal as in a cloak. And according to what they had done, so he will repay wrath to his enemies and retribution to his foes. He will repay the islands their due. So it gives this image of God as a warrior with armor. It's this messianic figure that's in Isaiah. And he talks about him putting on the breastplate, breastplate of righteousness. He talks about putting on the helmet of salvation. This is where this imagery comes from in Ephesians, Ephesians 6. It comes from this, one of these texts in Isaiah. And if you add Isaiah 52, they talk about shoes fitted with the gospel peace. In this text, if we read it in its full, we realize this is God coming down to see his own people, to see Israel, and noticing there is no justice. There is sin that is rampant, and the way they are treating each other, there's no one to be found to intervene. So he says, 
I'll come and intervene. I'll make salvation. So you get this image of the divine warrior God strapping on the breastplate of his own righteousness. And then he puts on the helmet of salvation. And he goes to war against his own people. He cloaks himself in vengeance and in zeal. And he says, I'm going to punish them for their injustice. But it's not only in Isaiah 59. It's also in Isaiah 11, 1 through 5. It says this. A shoot will come from up will come up from the stump of Jesse. From his root, a branch will bear fruit. The spirit of the Lord will rest on him. The spirit of wisdom and understanding. The spirit of counsel and, and might. The spirit of knowledge and fear of the Lord. And he will dwell in the fear of the Lord. He will not judge by what he sees with his eyes. Or decide by what he hears with his ears. But with righteousness he will judge the needy with justice. He will give decisions for the poor of the earth. He will strike the earth with the rod of his mouth. With the breath of his lips, he will slay the wicked. Righteousness will be his belt. And faithfulness, a sash around his waist. So you see in this text, it says he will strike the earth with the rod of his mouth. This is imagery from Israel's perspective. That there's a rod that's coming out of his mouth and that this breath of his lips, he'll slay the wicked. But if you look in Ephesians, he's using Roman imagery of a Roman soldier. So instead of a rod coming out of his mouth, it's a what? It's a sword, which he calls the word of God. This is the imagery he's drawing on. And then he says righteousness will be his belt and faithfulness a sash around his waist. It's this idea of faithfulness, truthfulness. He's faithful and true. The belt of truth will go around his waist. And while Isaiah 59 is talking about God going to war against his own people, Isaiah 11 is talking about God going to war against the enemies, the enemies of God's people particularly the Assyrians, the Egyptians, the Cushites, the Elamites, and the Babylonians. And so Isaiah 59 and Isaiah 11 provide the inspiration for this image of the full armor of God that we find in Ephesians. But it also tells us about the problem. And here's the problem that Ephesians is also drawing on from Isaiah. The problem is this. There's hostility between God's people and foreign nations. And you see that in Isaiah 11. But there's also hostility between God's people and God himself. That you see in Isaiah 59. And God is going to war. And he's putting on the full armor, his own armor, and he's declared war on his people, and he's declared war on Israel's enemies. 
But what happens in Ephesians is this. God uses this divine warrior, this messianic warrior motif and imagery. He uses this idea or this imagery of God's armor and repurposes it in light of what God has done in Jesus Christ to gather up all things and to bring unity In other words, Isaiah 59 and 11 is about God bringing punishment. But in Ephesians, it's about God bringing peace. It's about God reconciling people to their enemies. And then taking God's people and their enemies reconciled together and reconciling that one group to God. He uses the exact same imagery. But instead of God against his people and God against the nations, he flips it around. And he says, put on the full armor of God because God's now going to reconcile you to your enemies and reconcile you and your enemies to God. And so, one faith... And putting on the full armor of God means at least a few things for us. The first thing it means is that one faith is that we have one faith that God has reconciled us to one another and God has reconciled us to himself. So to have one faith is for you and I to share together, collectively, that God has reconciled us to each other and to our enemies. And then in reconciling us together, he's reconciled, into, reconciled us to himself. One faith is believing and trusting that God has made peace between God and people and between Jew and Gentile, people and their enemies. And another word you could use for this idea of faith, when he says one faith, this idea of trust And trust and faith is not giving some mental acceptance to something. Like, yeah, 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 I agree mentally to that. But it's a social contract. It actually has something to do more with, like, faithfulness rather than some mental thought that we have. It has real social effects. And so the first one is this. Unity is a matter of faith. I don't think we put enough emphasis on this. We put a lot of emphasis on other things about what it means to be a faithful person. But in the book of Ephesians, unity is a matter of faith. It's what faith looks like. And the second thing is this, is that unity is an ethic. It's an ethic. Because in 4 through 6, he gives a lot of ethical instructions. And these ethical instructions are to teach us about the ways we are to interact and treat each other and be in the world so that unity has got a chance. But I also want to say this. I don't know if it's this age that we live in or maybe every age. There are a lot of ethical issues being discussed. Lots of ethical issues being discussed. 
But I wonder, in debating all those ethical issues, how many times does debating and arguing about those ethical issues put the ethic of unity to the side? Unity is an ethic. It's a social contract of trust. And it's not based off of what we've done, but it's based off of what God does. This is what Ephesians says. And unity is also missional. Unity is a missional activity. I mean, you could argue from the book of Ephesians, this is why God comes, to gather up all things in heaven and earth, to reconcile all things in heaven and earth under Jesus Christ. And then he says, therefore, in light of all this, go be my unified people in the world, bringing unity, working towards reconciliation. This is your missional calling. In fact, I'm mindful, just having been a missionary, that the ecumenical movement which is a movement of the gathering, the regathering of all churches around the world to try to be unified as a, as a common witness in the world for the sake of Jesus. That ecumenical movement first started in the missionary movement. Because unity is missional. It's not passive, it's very active. But the second thing I think that we learn about faith is that one faith that one faith that our battle is not against flesh and blood but against spiritual forces of evil. Because in verse 12 it says this, because our struggle is not against flesh and blood. This is in stark contrast In stark contrast to God's battles in the past, where God looks at his people and says, I'm, here I come, going to war. And then he looks at the nations, here I come, going to war. And he's at war against God's people, flesh and blood, and against the nations, flesh and blood. But in Ephesians, he takes a step back and he says, no more. Our battle and struggle is not against each other. Not in this room, not outside this room, not in any other place. It's not against flesh and blood. That our battle is against the spiritual force, forces of darkness. That's what the battle is. And this has to be good news for the Gentile ears that are reading Ephesians. They got to be startled to find out that they were called into Christ's new body to inhabit the armor that one time would have spelled their doom. Because there's no longer flesh and blood enemies. The church. And by the church, we can also read Christ, who is the Messiah, Yahweh, is free to engage the last enemy, the spiritual forces of evil. And so it says for us to take up this shield of faith, which it says, with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. That's what that faith is for. Because our battle is not against flesh and blood, but against the spiritual forces. Against the arrows of the evil one. 
And so the devil's purpose, according to Ephesians, is to divide. It's first to divide you and your neighbor. The one sitting by you in this room. Divide you from your neighbor in your neighborhood. Divide you from the one that lives across the street. Divide you from the one that's in a different church. Divide you from a one that's maybe in a different political party. Divide you from one that is perhaps in a different religion. Divide you for the one you call your enemy. That is what the devil is doing. And then once he started dividing you and I, guess what he does? It's us and God. And it all gets divided up. It's divide and conquer. That's his work. But if God is gathering all things up into Jesus Christ, my battle's not against you. It's not against my neighbor. It's not against the one I disagree with or the one whom I don't share the same faith with. I believe Jesus Christ is gathering up all things. So I want to start gathering up those, all those things too. That's the work of God. The third is this. That one faith, that it is God's armor and that the battle belongs to God. How are we going to take up that role? Who is big enough to fill God's armor? This is God's armor. This is God's armor that he puts on Isaiah and that he lends to us. It's not armor that we fashioned ourselves. It's not armor that we conjure. It's not armor that we believe so strongly and it'll appear this is God's armor. And because it's God's armor, it's also God's battle. In other words, it's God's purposes. So we put on the full armor of God. We join in God's purposes in the world. And finally this. It's one faith that we cannot do this alone but that we must put on the armor of God collectively. We read this text and we think individuals put on the full armor of God, the breastplate of righteousness and the belt of truth and the gospel of peace. And that's fine. I get that. I get that why that's inspirational and it instructs us. But in the context of the entire book of Ephesians, this is not individuals putting on the full armor of God. The armor of God can only go on when all of us put it on together collectively. I mean, this is the point of the book. Who is strong enough or big enough to put on God's armor by themselves? Who is strong enough and big enough to defeat the arrows of the evil one by themselves? Have you ever got shot arrows at you by the evil one? Anybody experiencing that now? Anybody really successful at fending off the devil by themselves? This is a collective call. You can't do it alone. The armor of God is not just meant for your body. It is meant for the body of which Christ is the head. One faith. 
One faith. That's our call. It's one faith in this messianic warrior who we call Jesus, who came to his own people, and his own people rejected him. And they handed him over to this foreign nation. And this foreign nation took him and accused him, punished him, beat him. And in that moment, Jesus put on the full armor of God. But instead of going after and going to war against his own people who rejected him, and going to war against the nation that crucified him, he put on the full armor of God. And the devil started shooting his arrows, and he took them. He took the accusations. He took the insults. He took the pain. He took the suffering. He took all the sin of both Jew and Gentile across all time and space, all of it in this room, and he took it upon himself, and he took those nails. And he brought peace. This is the gospel of Jesus Christ. And in Jesus Christ, God is gathering up all things in heaven and earth and reconciling us to one another and us to God, bringing peace. One faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's stand.